obviously we're in this series, Relational Vampires, where we're talking about just people, uh, the best way to describe them are extra grace required. You guys have had those people in your life before. Look up here, don't look around at all, okay? Just, these are just extra grace required people. And, uh, you know, week one we talked about needy people. You guys have experienced those. You, we all have some of those people in our life. Last week we talked about controlling and manipulating people. Ten, Ken did a good job talking about those things. And this week, again, eyes up here, we're going to talk about critical people. Critical people. These are people, you, you know who these people are. These, this is your boss. These are people that uh, they always give you their feedback even when you didn't ask for it. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know those people? Um, and then le- next week, you don't want to miss next week, we're going to talk about hypocritical people, uh, particularly hypocritical Christians and how do we handle those people. But as we talk every week, and you guys hear me say, you know, the vision of our church is taken straight out of Jesus when he gives us the greatest commandment. And he says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said, and then the second commandment is like it, and that's to love your neighbor is yourself. So it's very clear, Jesus says that, that the greatest commandment, the best thing you can do is to love God and love people. And in our church, we take the extra part when Jesus talks about being salt and light and how that's how you make a difference in the world. So we wanted to do that. We want to be a church that loves God, loves people, and makes a difference. And again, you've heard me say it, it's easy to love God right? I mean, sure, it takes some time to get the disciplines in place, and it takes time to build that relationship with him, but the idea of loving God's not hard because God loved you first. So the idea of it is not all that difficult, that if there is a loving God, then he's not going to be that difficult to love. It's not that hard to sit back and recognize that the world should be better. There's things that we should do better. There's situations that should probably be handled better. There's things that just should be overall better. So the idea of making a difference, everybody's like, yeah, you know what? I can do that. I I surely don't want uh, a place to be worse when I leave it. I want it better. I want to make a difference. I want to make it better. But that part about loving people seems to be the hardest part of Christianity. Can I get an amen, somebody? That's the hardest part about Christianity sometimes. Because when you say, I'm following Jesus, that means you don't just get to say whatever you want to say. Sure, you can, but that's not exactly what Jesus expects us and calls us to do. But it doesn't change the fact that we experience and we run into and we deal with people that are just hard sometimes. They're just difficult and hard to deal with sometimes. So today we're going to talk about the critical people, people that every one of us have interacted with. Your boss that micromanages you and does absolutely everything and prevents you from doing anything, that guy, controlling, critical, right? You know these people. You experience these people. In fact, um, how many of you guys, and this is an interactive thing, so you can answer this, how many of you guys know somebody that has the spiritual gift of fault-finding? Anybody? Does anybody have that? Where they just are consistently finding faults in everything, and you didn't ask. Or you're like, man, dude, I just, I just really, you ever had this thought? Like, as they're speaking, criticizing you about one thing or another, you're just like, I just don't care. I just don't care. 
I'm not interested in your thoughts. I don't really care about it. They, they criticize uh, the way you raise your kids, right? Like some of you guys, you've dealt with your parents before, your mother-in-law or your father-in-law, right? And they sit back and they think because they're the parents, they've raised kids before and you should just listen to what they have to say. And you're like, I never asked your opinion, mom. I never asked your opinion, dad. I appreciate it if you just wouldn't give the kid candy seven times a day because that's our rule. Well, honey, you're too hard on them. I didn't ask you if I was too hard on them, mom. I said, stop giving the kid pieces of candy, right? Some of you guys know those people? Or maybe you run into those people that's like, well, you go to one of those, you go to one of those churches, one of those churches where they have like a big screen and they have lots of sound and they have a drum kit on the stage. I mean, it, is the gospel even being preached at those churches? Maybe you guys run into people like that before. Uh, or maybe it's somebody that looks at you and goes, well, how, do you sp- how could you spend your money that way? And you're like, bro, I ain't talking to you about it. It ain't none of your business. I'm not interested in hearing what you think about that. Or, and again, stay up here. Maybe, maybe it's your spouse, right? Maybe it's your spouse where uh, they, they get angry at the way you chew food, right? Have you ever had that with your spouse where they get a little frustrated? One of the things, and I'll, I'll give you a peek behind the curtain, that uh, for me and Leah is uh, I, I don't like it when the, um, the this is going to sound, sound real petty and crazy, but when the spoons and the forks aren't like put together in the dishwasher, because then I can just grab them all at once and put them away all at once, and when they're not like that, it's chaos, and I don't like it, and I can't handle it. And then, and, and then you know, you got to take the knives, and you, we don't wash our knives that way. We wash all of our knives by hand. Because I, I, I've heard before that it ruins the knife, so I've just always done that. So that's what I want to do. So when a knife is in there, I get a little, little crazy. So I know I can be critical sometimes too. And in the same way, uh, if Leah was here, she would tell you that there's just sometimes that my clothes piles don't always make sense. Because for me, if I'm going to wear it again, there's a place it goes where I'm going to wear it again. She doesn't know that that's the wear it again pile, but it's a wear it again pile. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about, where you only wore it for a, a couple minutes, so you can definitely do it again. So we have people, right? And sometimes it's our spouse. Sometimes we just get frustrated. Like, come on, man, why are you being so critical about that? Why did Brandon, come on, Brandon, why do you care about that? Come on, honey, why do you care about where my shirts are? And it's, for some of us, it's a real thing. Like, we, we experience it where it drives us crazy. It's the, it's the person at work that criticizes the way you put together spreadsheets, or the person that criticizes your business practices, or the person that sits back, and maybe they're even so bold that they would criticize your marriage or the way you're handling things, the way you're raising your kids. We run into these people all the time. And the question is not, how do I deal with them? We don't want to deal with people. The question is, how do we love people well? Aristotle's credited with saying to avoid criticism. So those of you guys that want to avoid criticism, this is how you do it. Uh, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. If you just do those three things, nobody will have any problem with you ever. But the truth is, is when you do things and you exist and, and decide, you are 100% going to have people that criticize you. And how do we handle that? Because there's different ways to do it. And there's ways to do it in such a way that hurts people. And then there's a way to do it where it's healthy and can help people. Because remember, the question is, how do we love them well? Not how do I tell them that they're wrong. 
Not how do I get them to see things my way. Not how do I tolerate them or deal with them or put up with their stuff. So, if you have your Bibles, I want you to pull it open to Proverbs because the first thing we can learn, the first thing we can learn is that sometimes when it comes to critical people, you just don't respond. Sometimes you just don't even have to respond. A lot of times, and this sounds crazy in today's climate, we feel like we got to respond to everything. I'm going to give you the freedom right now. You do not. You do not have to respond to everything. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says this. He says, a person with wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And for many of us, we sit back and go, bro, I don't know what you're talking about. It ain't to nobody's glory. Because did you hear what he said? I'm going to knock his teeth out, right? Some of you guys are like that. And then some, some, of, you, some of you people are like, oh, just wait. Mm-hmm. You want to talk some smack? Um, wait till I get home and get on my Twitter feed. Wait till I get home and get on my Facebook page. Wait till I get home and take care of this. Because I'm going to take care of you and let everybody know. I got a response coming. Boy, I've been brewing on it all the time. Maybe you're one of those people and you've, you can relate to this, I bet, where you have the conversation with the individual before you even talk to them. And you know it's got to happen. Like, you know you got to put them in their place and you got a response coming. So you've been brewing this response for a couple days and you've played out this imaginary conversation in your head. How are you going to tell them that they are wrong, they are dumb, they didn't listen, and they don't have any idea, right? Like, but the truth is, sometimes you don't respond. Sometimes the most Christ-like thing you can do is, for lack of a better phrase, and I don't think there's a better one than what Christ said, turn the other cheek where it's not worth your time, energy, to respond to critics sometimes. Sometimes you just got to keep, keep going. In fact, the idea of overlooking offense, that's a Hebrew phrase. And what it really means is to rise above something. So the author is saying, like, it's to your benefit, that sometimes it's to your benefit to rise above the offense. You're going to rise above those negative comments. You're not going to engage with them because when you engage with them, you're down here with them. You've heard that before. Your mom has told you that before, right? You You don't engage with it. Sometimes you have to rise above it. Sometimes you have to avoid it. It's just not even worth your time. You don't have time to fight and argue with critics sometimes because, like Aristotle said, people are going to have a problem. They simply are. And the truth is, is that's why this is written in Proverbs. This is one of those things that Proverbs written in such a way that you can just pluck them. It's one of the only places in the Bible where you can pluck a verse without context. You can absolutely do that with Proverbs. Don't do that anywhere else in the Bible. But in Proverbs, you can do that. That's what they're for. You take them, you pluck them out, and you go right here. It's to my benefit sometimes to overlook an offense. And let me give you some freedom right now. You don't have to prove anything to them. You don't have to prove anything. You owe them nothing. You don't have to prove anything to them. So sometimes the best response is exactly what the author says. It's exactly what the Bible says, to rise above the offense. And that's a choice, and you have to make it. And it's not easy. I'd be lying if I said that it's easy, because it's hard to believe, I know. Um, But I'm one of those guys that I want to engage with it. Like, you want to talk some stuff? Let's talk some stuff. That's how I feel. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's engage with it. I've had, I've had times in my life recently where the answer is don't respond. Rise above it. It's not worth 
your time. You're going to have critics. You're going to have people go after you. That's why the author says that. And here's the second thing we can do. Sometimes you don't respond at all. Sometimes you rise above it. You look at it and say, this is not important enough for me to engage with. This person is not connected enough to me and my family and, and, and related to me close enough to interact with this. They don't have enough influence on my life. It's just not worth it. So sometimes the answer is absolutely to rise above it. Don't respond at all. And then sometimes the answer is to respond carefully. Because there are times where you need to respond. There are times in which you need to address a problem. Particularly, it's with individuals who are close to you and to your family unit. Those situations are situations in which you probably should, if you haven't already, engage with it to a degree. But when you do this, the key, again, the key is to make sure that you respond carefully. In fact, Paul says that uh, if your response is going to lead to sin, then you shouldn't respond. He says it this way in Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 4, and he's giving Christian instructions. Hey, this is how you should live. This is how you should behave. And in particular, he's given it in the context of marriage, knowing that there's going to be conflicts, critics, and issues inside of a marriage. But if you play this out into the rest of the world, you understand the same process. He says this, in your anger, do not sin. Don't sin. And you go, Brandon, what exactly is a sin? Well, I can give you the, the definition that I run on that uh, kind of goes through my head. It's, it's violating a known law of God. But Jesus summed it up pretty clear for us. He said, all the law and the prophets, so all the laws of God, hang on the greatest commandment, to love God, love people. So if what you're about to do, or say, is going to violate them or hurt them in any way, or you, then the answer is you, sh you should not, ought not do it. And this is not one of those things where you get to play uh, the game with it and you go, well, it's not really hurting them. I didn't say to them, I was talking about them to somebody else. Is it going to hurt them if they find out? Are you saying it in hopes that they would find out? Or are you saying it in hopes that people around you would agree with you? And maybe they would say the thing or do the thing that you really want to do to them, but you're a Christian, so you don't do that. But maybe you're trying to incite it. See, the thing is, is Paul's very clear, in your anger, so it's not a sin to be angry. Jesus was angry, righteous anger, flipping tables and stuff. You don't do that. Nobody flips tables calmly, okay? Nobody's done that. I flipped a table before in the Marine Corps, okay? Not in the church. In the Marine Corps. It was totally warranted. Probably not. But <laughs> I, was, I was angry. I didn't do it calmly. It wasn't like, you guys stop it. Like, that's not, no. It was like, I'm sending this thing to the moon. So, that in and of itself, so it's not a sin necessarily to be angry. It, it was in that sense, but not when Jesus was doing it. So being angry is not sinful. What you do in your anger can be the sin. What you do in the anger and how you hurt people, how you hurt your family members, what you say to your wife when you're angry, that's a sin. Not that you're angry with your wife. What you say to him, to your husband, that's the sin, not that you're angry with him. 
And the same is true in the other areas of your life also. The sin comes in the action. So in your anger, do not sin. And in fact, he's quoting Psalm 4.4. And the easiest way to think about it is, is this going to hurt them? If the answer is yes. Or is my intention to somehow hurt them? If the answer is yes, then you should do a double take. You should not respond. But let's finish the rest of the verse, because that's only the beginning of the verse. In your anger, do not sin. In the rest of the verse, he says, do not let the sun go down while you were angry. Now, <laughs> this verse has been taken literally for so long. And it, it, a lot of people think, and because it's written to marriage in particular, uh, they think that I cannot go to sleep if I'm angry with my husband. I cannot go to sleep if I'm angry with my wife. That's not what the verse is saying. Okay? Paul's using a common Greek phrase. When he says, do not let the sun go down while you are angry, that term, do not let the sun go down, really is a term of extended time. That's what he means. So do not let an extended time sit on your anger, which is saying that you should resolve the conflict and the anger that you have with an individual. And some of you just go, I'm good. I don't want to handle my problems with people. I just kind of like to sit and stew and be frustrated and to be angry. But again, as a Jesus follower, if you're not a Jesus follower, these are just good principles you can apply. But if, if you call yourself a Christian and you, and you say you're a Jesus follower, that's not really going to work. Because the instruction is very clear. You've got to handle the problems. In fact, so much so that Jesus brings it up. He talks about it when it talks about individual going to the temple to offer a sacrifice. As this guy's going to the temple, Jesus says, if you're going to the temple and on the way you recognize you got an issue with your brother or sister, you've got an anger or a frustration with your brother or sister, and you haven't handled it yet, there's a sense, and Jesus says, then don't go to the temple. Don't go. Don't go talk to God as if there's nothing wrong and you're not angry or frustrated or mean or hateful to one of his sons or daughters. Don't go say, hey, if I'm good vertically, then that's all that matters. Jesus says, no, 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 vertical relationship with God is important, but your horizontal relationship with his sons and daughters is important also. And this is straight from the word of Jesus. He says, don't go to the temple. Go back, handle the problem, and then go make your offering. In fact, he says that it's the same thing as murder to look at your brother or sister and say, Raka, which means I hate you. So the sin, it's not being angry that causes the sin. It's the unresolved anger that is dangerous because he's very clear. When you begin to approach the throne, throne room of God, hey, it's probably time that you at least begin to unpack why you're angry, how you can handle it, what you can do. And a lot of times, critical people make it so hard to do that because you just don't want to deal with it. You don't want to think about it, and it's so easy to put the blame on them. But do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Do not stay angry, frustrated, mean, or hateful for an extended period of time because you know as well as I do that creates what I call a root of bitterness and that root as much as you will say and sit back and say I'm not I don't get those I can control it I can handle it okay again if you're a Jesus follower okay if you're a Jesus follower by you saying you're you can handle it you can take care of it you're saying Jesus I'm smarter than you 
You're saying, God, I'm so much smarter than what you've written in your word. Because, God, you tell me in your word through the, the, the letters of Paul that I cannot let the sun go down in my anger. But I'm telling you, I can control myself, Lord. I'm different. I got enough self-control. I'm fine. I don't need to handle my issues. So I don't, maybe, maybe you've sat in that place before. Maybe you've been in that place before. That's not a good place to be. That if you're angry, don't sin and then work to a resolution. Again, sometimes we respond carefully, carefully. We don't just fire off, say whatever we want, behave the way we want, tell them what we really think, and say, see, I solved the problem. That's not solving the problem. That's causing the problem. So we don't want to do that either. And you know, as well as I do, that left unchecked, it leads to hatred. And you have seen this happen in in your friends' marriages before. You have watched it happen. You have watched her get mad at him or him get mad at her, not resolve the problem, completely ignore it. We're not addressing it. We're not playing with it. And before you know it, after a couple of years, they can't stand being around each other. And they, they say things like, we have fallen apart. We just drifted away from each other. We just didn't handle problem A, we didn't handle problem B, we didn't take care of it. You've seen it in the business place before. You've seen it with your boss. Didn't handle a problem and then what happens? It becomes an unscalable mountain inside of the business place. And you've experienced it with your kids. Those of you that have older kids, you know that when you do not address a problem, it only gets bigger. It doesn't go away. And the same is true for all of your close relationships. So sometimes when you're dealing with critical people, the answer is to respond, but it's to do so carefully. And in your anger, don't sin. And also make sure that it's for a restorative purpose, a restorative purpose, not to defend yourself, not to argue, to get them to see things the way you do. It's for a restorative purpose, because sometimes you have to address the sin. Now, This third one is going to be the one that's going to make you the most uncomfortable. And you're not going to like it. And that's okay. In fact, preacher loves you. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. But sometimes you have to listen and make a change. Sometimes they might be right. And listen to me. If you have more than a few people say the same thing to you, It's right. It's probably right. If more than a few people say, hey, you're mean to this person, you might be mean. If more than one person sits and says, you drink too much, you might drink too much. If more than one person sits back and says, hey, man, you're neglecting your family, you might be neglecting your family. The truth is, if more than one person has said it in your life, it's unlikely that you've surrounded yourself, because you're smart people, that you've surrounded yourself with that many people that want to see you destroyed. It's likely that there's that many people that love you and care for you and see the path that you're on and say, hold on, this could be a problem. Now, maybe they're not doing it the best way, but most people don't understand how to give good feedback. In fact, if you want to know how to give good feedback, there's a book that I read called Thanks for the Feedback. It's great. 
It helps you understand ways that you can approach people and give proper feedback. If you're a boss, you run a business, you run a company, you're a leader in any capacity, I suggest you get it because it's great. But most people don't understand how to do that. So yeah, it might make you mad that they criticize you. It might make you mad that they're bringing something to your attention. But it would be so arrogant if multiple people have brought something to your attention and you just say, that's not true. If multiple people who know you closely and love you and care for you and are there for you, if they look at you and say, hey, man, you're just, you're not, you don't treat your wife very good. Like we've seen it, we've been, they're part of your small group, they sit back and say, hey man, you, the relationship, it's not good. Like it would be the most arrogant thing to sit back and say, nah, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And it would be the most arrogant thing for you to say if the ladies come up to you and they say, hey, um, you know, you, you, you just you disrespect your husband in front of people often and that really has got to make him feel bad. And initially our first response is we want to press against it and say, well, why don't you mind your own business? But sometimes those are people that you've given permission in your life to speak into your life. And that's why they feel comfortable saying something. So sometimes, not all the time, sometimes you have to listen and make a change. In fact, we're going to go back to Proverbs because the author of Proverbs does a great job explaining this. And in fact, you might get a little offended, but I didn't write this, okay? So just don't send your emails to me. Send them to God. His inbox is open. Proverbs 12.1 says this, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Listen to this. Whoever, this is in the Bible, whoever hates correction is stupid. That is in the Bible. I did not make that up. And when you look up, because everybody's like, what's it mean in the Hebrew, Brandon? Stupid. That's what it means. Look at it in multiple translations. Some of them are more offensive than this. Don't look at the King James Version. They don't care about your feelings at all when they wrote that thing. But, and this is, this is really comical, because I, I used to say stupid too much from the platform. And I had some parents come up and say, you say stupid a lot from the platform. And I'm like, that's stupid. And then I made the change and said, I need to stop saying that so much. So, remember, if you reject correction, I'm not saying you're stupid. Okay? I would never say that to you. I would never say that to you. However, the author of Proverbs says that if you reject multiple corrections... And you're not interested in listening to what your people who love you and are close to you and want to work with you and everything else. If you don't listen to those people, and I didn't say this, read it in your Bibles. That is stupid. That is what the Bible says about somebody who rejects correction. And you know why they say it? Is because when the idea of this correction is a change of course, getting back on the straight and narrow, getting back to the right way of doing things. The reason that the author says that it's stupid or a lack of knowledge or not a good decision is because the end of the direction you're going, if you're people that love you are trying to get you to stop going in that direction, the end of that direction, the destination that you're going to hit, whether you want to hit it or not, is going to be self-destruction at some point. It's going to be the destruction of your marriage. 
It's going to be the destruction of your leadership. It's going to be the destruction of your business. It's going to be the destruction of something because people around you are trying to help you see it. And believe it or not, and sometimes this is hard, but there are moments in time in which God will use people around you to help correct you. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's your spouse. And for some of us, we go, I don't like that. I don't want him to use her. I don't want him to use him, okay? I'd really appreciate it if he used my friend, okay? Because I like him, he's good, but my wife, you know, some of us know that our spouse can just, when they say things, sometimes it just cuts a special way, and you're just like, ah, so much heavier. Well, sometimes that's why God uses those people. It's because it weighs heavier. Sometimes he wants you to know. And people that you're close with. So God will use those around you to correct you sometimes. And here's the other key when it comes to dealing with critical, critical people. Okay? It's important to recognize sometimes critical people are working through something on their own. It's important to remember oftentimes they are working through some real hurt. And the way they feel they can control the situation or the way they feel like they can influence the situation is by being critical of you and what you're doing and the vision you have for your business or the vision you have for your family or your goals in life. Maybe they're intimidated by how successful you've been in your family. Maybe they're intimidated by how successful you've been in your business. Or maybe they just don't like the fact that you are having success at all. Sometimes they have real confidence issues. That's true. Some of the most critical people I've run into are people that have a problem on the inside of them, and they are dealing with something. A lot of times it can also be indicators of problems at home or problems at work, that it is a, it is a huge issue. Or sometimes, and this is the one that's hardest to identify and deal with, sometimes these individuals, they've had a bad childhood. And what you're seeing and, and getting is a response out of the childhood that they have had. And so before we get too high on our horse, and before we become those people that just say, they want to hurt us, they're not trying to help, they're doing this, they're doing that, we need to remember, you don't know their story, you don't know their story, and God might be using them to show you something. If more than one person has said it to you, you've got to pay attention to it, because here's what I know. Behind every, every single bit of anger is at least some level of hurt. In fact, it's the number one thing they teach you in counseling, is if somebody is passionately angry or critical, find the root of it. Because the root is probably inside of them. It's probably not on the outside. So you have no idea what those individuals have been through. You've heard the phrase, proceed with caution. I'm going to tell you when it comes to, to difficult people, I want you to not proceed with, with caution, but instead proceed with grace. You don't know the story. You don't know the whole bit. You don't know the whole story. You know a fraction and a bit of it. And maybe the answer for you is you have to pray through it. Maybe the answer for you is you have to remember, but don't forget, just like we sung a second ago, God, help me see them the way you see them. Help me see this the way you see this. Because if I see things the way you see things, I'll be more likely to behave the way you behave. And let's not forget, 
You can be critical too. I can be critical too. You've had those conversations, right? Can you believe the way she dresses? Can can you believe the decision that that teacher made? I mean, come on. Can you believe the decision that the board made? I mean, come on. Can you believe that? They need to fire that coach. They don't need to keep him on. They don't need to keep her on. And this is what happens when we're critical. Isn't this true? I'm not critical, Brandon. I'm just being honest. Right? I'm just being honest. Or maybe we mask it and we like to say, this is just the way I am. Which is another way of saying God has no power to change me and his word is not influential in my life. So next time, is this just for Jesus followers? If you're not a Jesus follower, that's fine. But next time you want to say the phrase, this is just how I am. I want you to say, God doesn't have power in my life and his word not, not, doesn't apply to me. And it doesn't change me. Because that's really what you're saying. Because just because you have an issue doesn't mean that it can't be changed. And it's saying like, no, I'm, I am too big for that. We say things like, look, I'm just calling it like I see it. I'm just calling it like I see it. I mean, you saw the way he did that. You saw the way she did that. I'm not being critical. I'm just calling it like I see it. Okay. Or here's one that my couple people in my family use. Look, man, I'm just saying. Right? That phrase about send me through the roof. No, you're trying to be mean, homie. That's what you're doing. You're saying that stuff to cut. Like, nah, man, I'm just saying. You're not just saying, dude. You're about to be saying it with no teeth, right? But what happens for us is we say, I'm not the critical person. I'm not critical at all. I'm just telling it like it is. I'm just saying, look, I'm just being honest. No, if we're going to be just honest with ourselves here, and we should be because it's church, and there's only a few places we can be honest with ourselves, it seems, anymore, you're being critical. So the next time that somebody's doing that to you, remember, slow down, think through it. Remember, hey, I don't know the whole story. I don't know the whole story. And I can be critical too. You have to shift your mentality to believing the best in people instead of believing the worst. Because that's where we sit most of the time. Now, for a second... I want you to think back to all the different conflicts that you've had over the past couple of years. All the interactions that you've had with critical people, that your family's had with critical people, that, you're, that you've had with people like that at work, that you've had with people like that around Christmas time, around Thanksgiving. I want you to think back through all of those different times, those really bad ones that just stick out in your mind. It's like that conflict was awful and I hope to never handle something like that again. When those things come out, and you can think of whatever you've done with your spouse and the arguments you've had with them, because sometimes those are the worst ones. How many of them do you think could have been avoided if you, would have, if you just would have thought through it beforehand? If you would have thought through Paul's words when he says, in your anger, do not sin. How many times do you think you could have avoided those things if maybe the best thing to do would be to not respond? To use the proverb, rise above the occasion. 
How many times do you think things would have been better if you just shifted your mentality to believing the best instead of expecting the worst? How many attitudes and behaviors and fights do you think would have been either avoided or handled better? How much healing do you think would have came from that time? If you would have, instead of lashing out and responding and saying the thing that you felt like you needed to say, because the immediate response is to defend myself. Well, what about if instead of defending yourself, you began to look at it from, if you're a Christian, a biblical point of view? God, help me see her the way you do. Help me see him the way you do. Help me see this problem I'm having at work or this problem I'm having with my mother-in-law or my father-in-law. God, help me see that the way you see that. Help me see them the way you see them. And I'm going to believe the best. How much better of a husband or a wife or a co-worker you would be if you actually acknowledged that you maybe have an issue you need to fix? How much, how much better would your life be if you believed it, that you could make the change? How much better would your life be if you interacted with what God said in his word instead of pressing it away because it makes us so uncomfortable sometimes, especially when it's corrective in nature? How much better would our country be? How much better would our country be, our city, our church, if people would not immediately respond, but instead reflect and recognize that there's times, sometimes I need to say something, sometimes I don't, and sometimes there's really something that needs to be changed. And if we started to do that, just everybody in this room started to do that, started to believe the best, started to recognize that we got our own issues we got to take care of too, and when a couple people talk to us about it, hey, that means probably a real problem. Or maybe we just start rising above the petty comments. Or maybe there's times when we need to respond, but do so so carefully as to not add fuel to the fire. If we begin to do that in this room, your families, our families will be better. Your marriage will be better. And you go, Brandon, how do I know? It's biblical, and they've proven it in studies. When you can talk and hash things out, because that's the point of this, when you can talk and hash things out, it's better instead of letting it sit. So this week, and going forward, because we're in November and you're going to start all those fun parties with people you can't stand, You're going to start preparing to bring your whole family over for Thanksgiving or go to somebody's house for Thanksgiving that you don't want to go to and you don't want them in your house. If we're just being completely honest in the Lord's house today, that stuff's going to happen. And your mother-in-law or your father-in-law or that brother or sister is going to say that thing that makes you mad. They're going to send you through the roof. And right then, I want you to remember that phrase that Paul writes in Ephesians. In your anger, do not sin. Right then, stop and think about it right there. I'm not going to respond that way. And then reflectively look at it. Is this something I need to rise above? Or something I need to address with them? 
or something I need to address in me. And if we do that, our holiday season will be better. It's not easy, but it's doable and it's possible. And you're going to mess it up, but get back on track. When you mess it up, don't mess it up twice in a row. Just get back on track of reflecting on those things. So, with that, I would love to pray with you guys. Father, critical people, Lord, are sometimes the hardest people to deal with because we, we don't see the issues in ourselves if there's an issue with us. And Lord, sometimes they can be the most hurtful people. Sometimes their words cut the deepest. And oftentimes, Lord, when we're dealing with a critical individual, they are so close to us that what they say cuts deep and hurts. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us have a God-like response, a Christ-like response when these things happen. When somebody's criticizing something we're doing, they're criticizing the way we're raising their kids, they're criticizing the way we're handling our family or something like that, God, I pray that you would help us have a Christ-like response, a godly response to this. And know and remember that sometimes we need to rise above it. Other times we need to engage with it. And then sometimes we, we need to change it. Because maybe you're speaking through those closest to us to help us be the best version of us for you. So Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct us, not just this week, but through this whole holiday season as we begin to run into these people that just need a little extra grace required. Help us have that grace, Lord. We love you, and we're going to give you all of the praise. And the church said... Amen.